Bibles, I want you to open them up to Psalm chapter 141. That sounds daunting, doesn't it? It's the biggest book of the Bible. There's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. We're going to look at almost all the way to the end, Psalm 141. This is another psalm that's written uh, by David. We're in the middle of our Get Real series, and what this is all about is how can we have honest conversations with God? How can we have honest conversations with the creator of the universe? It kind of blows your mind if you stop to think about uh, how we can have that connection, how we can pray, and God hears us. Not only does he hear us, but he answers us and he speaks to us. And so we're all about how do we have this real relationship with God? Because you know what? You, you can't have a relationship with God through your parents. You can't have a relationship with God through your spouse or, or through your kids. You have to have that relationship. It's got to be a personal relationship relationship. So if we can't figure out how to get real with God, uh, then we're missing something. He's the only way. Jesus is the only way uh, to heaven. There's heaven and hell in this life. And uh, there's, you know, it's not a 50-50 chance. It's a, if you accept Jesus as your savior, that's how we get to heaven. That's the only way. And so we trust in him. We need to have this real honest relationship with him. So we're looking in Psalm 141 to see another honest prayer uh, that King David prayed. And so let's look at that. Verse one says this, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Jesus, thank you for your word today. God, thank you for speaking to us. God, I pray that you would just open up this passage to us. Uh, God, that our lives would be forever changed in your name. Amen. Uh, So I want to break down this passage just a little bit for us here and, and look at what David was was praying because he starts out by saying lord hear me right lord listen to me come quickly to me uh hear me when i call to you i I need you god so this the words david are is using here it's just it's an urgent prayer he's like god i need you right now i mean i'm pounding on the door god listen to me stop everything that you're doing because i need to talk to you this is urgent it can't wait for tomorrow god Stop listening to everybody else in this world. Listen to me. Focus on me, God. I need your attention. That's what David's doing. He's crying out to God, right? You ever have your kids do that? Or you were a kid who did that? You know, you're sitting there having a conversation and it's like, Dad, 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 Mom, Mom, Mama, Mommy, Mom, 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 Mom. And eventually it's just like, What? What's for supper? It's breakfast right now. Just like calm down. It doesn't matter. It's not that important, right? And that's what David's doing here in this passage. Father God, 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 listen. God, I need you. Look at me, God, right? And, and he's crying out, God, this is urgent. This is urgent. And what's funny here is that, that David doesn't pray for rescue. It's not like, God, I'm drowning here and I need your help out now or else I'm going to, you know, uh, suffocate and die. I'm going to drown out here. It's not, God, I, I have these current needs that really need to be met. And if they don't get met, I'm not going to pay my bills by the end of the month. No, it's not that at all. But what's interesting is this thing that was so urgent 
in David's mind was things that hadn't happened yet. He was praying a preemptive prayer. And that's what he thought was so important of, God, I need you to answer these things before they're even a concern, before they're, they're even a, a need. He, he's saying in here, God, I know what happens in my life. I know what happens. Like, everything's good right now. You look at my life, God, and, and everything's good, but I know me. And I know when everything's good, eventually I tend to wander. Eventually I tend to do things wrong. So, God, before I go do the wrong things, can we just, like, Keep me on the path this time. Like, that's, that's what he's praying here. God, keep me on the right path before I wander to the wrong path. God, help me to stay on the right path. And David thought that this was just as critical as the times he cried out when, God, I need you to rescue me. Man, I'm hiding in the caves, and people are coming to take my life. God, I, I need you. So this is like on the same level of prayer of this is urgent. And so here's an important principle about uh, honest prayers that I think we can learn from this psalm. It's this, is we need to pray before it happens. Pray before it happens. Pray before the disaster strikes. Like if we're only praying when crisis happens, we're doing it wrong, right? Uh, praying in crisis, that's a good thing. But only praying when crisis has happened, uh, there's a better way. There's a much better way. Think about this. How many things in your life could have been prevented if we had prayed before the storm hit? If we'd prayed before the storm hit, how many poor decisions would you not have made had you prayed before you had to make that decision? Right? Like prayer changes us. Prayer, prayer changes. Prayer, prayer not only does things in other people's lives, but it changes us. Because we're saying, God, I want to do what you have for me, not, not what I want. And it puts us in that right frame of mind. It keeps us humble. It keeps us relying on God. So I believe that prayer should be preemptive. Uh, just like you shouldn't only go to the dentist when your tooth is hurting. Right? That's why they schedule you every six months so that you can avoid that pain that comes when you have to get the, the root canal or your tooth fixed. You know, you're supposed to keep that up. Uh, the same way of it would be not very smart if you only chose to buckle up when you thought an accident was about to happen. Right? If you think there's an accident happening, you're too late. You're going through the window, right? So buckle up when you get in the car, uh, and, and that's going to help save your life. Same way here. We, we need to pray preemptively. We need to pray preemptively because God wants us to speak to him, not just on the days when we're in crisis, but every day. Right? God wants to speak to you every day. Isn't that awesome? The God of this universe, he wants to speak to you Every day, you personally, not, not just the person next, he wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you today, right? You ever have somebody in your life who uh, you see the only time they show up, the only time they knock on their door, the only time they call you is they need something. Anybody got somebody like that in your life? Or maybe you're that person to somebody else. And it's like you, you see the name on the phone, it's just like, oh, how much do you need? Right? I mean, that's, that's the way you want to answer it. But sometimes we treat our relationship with God that way. You know, and I wonder, it's just like, okay, what do you need now? Thankfully, he's much more gracious than we are. But he wants to talk to you every day. He wants to build up that relationship with you every day. And, and it's such a beautiful thing, and that's what we can do. And that's what David's doing here. He, he's praying to God on the day he doesn't need anything. God, everything's going great today. But man, I know what I like to do tomorrow. I, I know what I tend to do the next day. So God, keep me here. Keep me on the straight and narrow. 
keep me out of temptation. So we need to pray before it happens. We need to pray before the disaster strikes. We need to pray before we start to drift off course. Pray for your marriage. Before your marriage is, you know, while your marriage is still healthy, we need to pray for your marriage. Pray for your walk with Christ while everything's going well. Pray to stay out of temptation before you're tempted, right? Build, build up that. Be ready. Pray for your kids before they start going places and doing things that you wish they wouldn't have. Pray. Pray before it happens. So let's take a deeper look now at these verses. We know David's praying preemptively, but let's see what he's actually praying for. In verse 3, he says this. This is his first prayer. God set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Guard what I say. So David's praying for his words. Wouldn't it be nice in life if we had just like a little button that could rewind 10 seconds? Because how often do we say something and immediately we regret it? Maybe even as it's coming out of our mouth, it's just like, I can't take it back. Like, it came out. And if we could just go back 10 seconds, man, we would save so much trouble. But the problem is we can't do that. We can't do that. And so David's saying, God set a guard over my mouth because the tongue is a hard muscle to control. David understood this, and that's why he's praying this preemptive prayer. Uh, you know, he, he's saying, God, I know that I have the tendency to dishonor you. I know I have the tendency to puff myself up, to use my words to bring me up, to bring other people down, and, and I get into trouble a lot. I can come out selfish. Uh, I can come out hurtful. So God, keep a guard over my lips. Now, that's interesting. He uses that, set a guard out there. You know, set, set some angel outside of my lips just to walk back and forth and protect and make sure that, that no prisoners get out. That, uh, that there's no escape plan here. God, guard my mouth. Guard my heart. Because I know my words are powerful. They can build people up. They can tear people down. And so David prays, God, keep me on track with my words. Uh, in Luke, it says that the, the mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. So the words that we use, the things that we speak, it's just kind of an indicator of, of our heart. It's an indicator of what's going in. So he's saying, God, make sure Make sure that my, all these warning signs are good, that my tongue is in control so that I know that my heart is in control. And if that's out of place, man, help me to fix my heart. And, and actually, I like the analogies in, in James, the book of James has for our tongues because of how powerful that, that our mouths are, how powerful our tongues are. In James chapter 3, we'll have it on the screen. It says this, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. See, our tongues are small, but they're mighty. And they can get us into trouble really fast, or they can help build others up very fast and very quickly. Just like a bit in the mouth of a horse, just like the rudder on a ship, and just like a small spark can set a forest on fire. Your words can lead someone to Jesus, or your words can take someone away from him and lead him down the wrong path. So let me ask this this morning. When's the last time that you prayed for your words? When's the last time you prayed for your words? Because I, I think that's such a healthy habit that we can start of, of God, guide my words today. God, make sure that that I am building other people up and not tearing other people down. God, may my words please you. You know, this wasn't the only time that David 
prayed for his, his words in, in Psalm uh, chapter 19. And this is a verse that you can pray every day. Man, pray this verse when you get up in the morning. This, this is so powerful. He, he, David prayed for his words in Psalm 19, verse 14. He says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So he said, God, may my words please you. Not just like, may my words not be negative and, you know, may I not be mean today. But it was, God, may my words actually like please you. May my words be so good that they honor you in everything that I do. God, may, may my heart, may it meditate on the good things, not the bad things. Because again, that, the heart and mouth connection, it's, it's a real thing. It's happening, right? And, and so God, may not only my words be good, but man, may my heart be good because I know that, that out of my heart, my mouth speaks. So God, may, may it all work together. May it honor you. So when's the last time you prayed for your words? I encourage you, pray for your words every day. You can, you can pray this scripture, Psalm 1914, put it down, and uh, pray that every day. May the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So going on, that was verse 3, verse 4 of Psalm 141, his next preemptive prayer. And actually, I like reading it out of the, the New Living Translation, so uh, it's got a little bit of a different look at it. Uh, it says this, don't let me drift toward evil. Or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. I like that word drift. Don't let me drift towards evil. Drifting's what happens when you're out on a boat, right? And you don't set a proper anchor. Or you don't set an anchor at all. And, and you're sitting there and you think, if I just sit here, if I turn the engine off, if I stop rowing, and I just sit here, then the boat should just stay. No, it doesn't do that. And if you don't have your eye on it, it's slowly, it's almost imperceptible, the boat starts moving somewhere you never intended it to go. It drifts off course. And after a little while, you look up and you realize, I'm not where I'm supposed to be anymore. In fact, I'm somewhere where I never wanted to be. See, drifting takes you, takes you places you never wanted to be. In a friendship, right, you never like drift together as friends. You, you tend to drift apart. Like drifting is a bad thing. You know, you don't talk to somebody, you don't spend time with them, and you lose your focus, and all of a sudden you, you start to drift off in that friendship. Or maybe right now you're sitting there, and uh, you're starting to drift off in your thoughts, right? You're losing focus. Uh, that drift, we, we never drift together, we drift apart. Drifting never takes you to a place that you want to go. It takes you to a place you never thought you wanted to be. It takes you to a place that you don't want to be. Let me say this, no one has ever drifted into heaven. No one's accidentally just wound up one day and be like, man, how did I get here? And this is, this is great. No. Again, the Bible says the only way to heaven is through Jesus. That doesn't just accidentally happen. That comes through being intentional. That comes through saying, I'm going to stay on the path, just like the word we heard this morning. God, help me stay on the path, even in the difficult things, because it's worth it. It's worth it to stay on that path, to make sure we don't drift, to keep moving forward. See, in life, uh, if we aren't going forward, then we're going backwards. If we're not going forward, we're going backwards. Because life is kind of like going up a down escalator. You can't tell me you've never tried that before, right? See that down escalator and you think, I can get to the top, right? And, and that's the way life is. Life is moving. And if we choose to stand still, Life is going to move us right on back down, right? It doesn't, 
You don't just get to go up halfway up that down escalator and think, you know what, I think I'll just you know, rest here a little bit because this is getting to be a little bit of work and, and keep on going from all your progress. No, you got to keep moving forward if you don't want to go backwards, if you don't want to drift. See, drifting happens when we stop moving forward in our relationship with Christ. We can all drift in our relationship with Christ if we don't keep moving. You know, if you come to the point in life, you're just like, eh, you know, I've read God's word a lot. Man, I finished this thing the last three years in a row. I'm doing really great. You know, I come to church every Sunday. I think I'm just going to coast for a little bit, you know, and then I'll pick it up next year. You're not going to be in the same spiritual strength that you were today as next year. You can't just pick it up and put it down and you just think it's all going to be in the same state. No, we need to keep moving forward if we want to keep that momentum in our relationship with Christ, if we want to make sure we don't drift off the course. Uh, the Israelites kind of experienced this. Uh, back when they were slaves in Egypt in the book of Exodus, uh, you know, they, God sent Moses, right? He sent Moses. He sent this rescuer. He sent the 10 plagues. And finally, they got out of the land of Egypt. They were no longer slaves, and they were headed to the promised land. And the promised land was only, uh, I think they, they mapped it out, maybe about an 11-day journey on foot for them to take. But somehow... Those 11 days turned into 40 years. You do the math on that one. They drifted, right? They got off course. And they started out with hundreds of thousands of people, but somehow only two of them made it to the promised land because all the rest of them drifted. All the rest of them said, you know what, we're not going to... It wasn't so much a geographical drift as it was a drift from God. They came out trusting in God. They came out seeing His power. But eventually they started grumbling. Eventually they said, oh, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to follow God. Can we just turn back? Can we go to Egypt? Can we do all these different things? And they drifted away from God. And because of that, they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. And only two of them said, you know what? We're going to stay faithful. We're going to go. Even Moses, the guy who was leading them, he drifted off path. And he didn't follow God. And so drifting is dangerous. We got to keep moving forward. So David prays, Lord, don't let me drift God, don't let me drift towards evil. Help me to keep moving forward. Help me to stay on course. God, I know my tendency is to become content. My tendency is to want to join the crowd. And if everybody's going to do it, man, I want to do it too. But God, don't let me drift towards evil. The funny thing about drifting is it can look different for everyone. You know, when you, you could be a bunch of boats out in the lake and they can all drift in different directions. See, we all drift towards evil, but there's a different kind of evil that maybe you drift towards and the person next to you would drift a different direction. So it doesn't look the same for everyone. For David, uh, he had a big moment of drift in his life. He had a big moment of drift in his life. We're going to talk about that more in depth in a couple weeks, but uh, when it, there was a time in his life when he should have been moving forward. He was the king, it said, in a time when kings should have been out of battle. He should have been out protecting the kingdom, advancing the kingdom. He said, you know what? I'm going to take this season off. You guys got this. And he's sitting up in his palace. And uh, it was in that moment when he decided, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to hang it up for a little bit, and I'll pick it up later. And he thought he could pick it up in the same place. But it was in those moments where life started moving him backwards, when he became content. And, it, and he started drifting. He started drifting. And that drifting led him into adultery. And that adultery led him to drift into lies to cover up the adultery, and, and, and that led him into murder, right? This thing's really escalating fast, and that led him into to more lies before finally God sent someone to say, 
David, get your act together. You're wrong. You can't cover this thing up anymore. You, you did it wrong. So we all drift towards evil. Maybe you uh, might, maybe you might not drift towards murder, but you know, maybe you drift towards adultery. You know, if you let your Bible collect dust, if you push off prayer, if you decide, you know, there's more important things than, than going to church and meeting with fellow believers, where does your heart wander? Where do your eyes wander? Right? Where, where does your body wander? It starts to drift into places that you never wanted to go. Hebrews 2.1 says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And we got to stay so focused on God's word. So focused on, God, what's your path? God, what direction do you have for me? So that we don't drift off. We got to keep moving forward so that we don't drift away. So if we want to stay on that right path, again, the best way to not drift isn't to set up anchor, but it's to move forward. To move forward. One of the areas, David, at the end of four, that he specifically uh, prays about, and I like the language, I'll, I'll read it again. It says, don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. God, don't let me hang around the people who are going to tempt me with, with things. Don't, don't let me hang around the places that are going to tempt me where I might give in in the moment in these compromising situations. And uh, I like how David uses food to describe how our hearts can turn towards evil, right? I, I can't, there's not many brownies I've turned down in my lifetime, all right? They're just too good. I mean, they're warm, chocolate, gooey, delicacy right there so like i i get that right i i get that delicacy that that uh, david's talking about and delicacies can be a lot like sin right that brownie looks really good in the moment man it, it's just it tastes good it smells good and it just feels right you know to eat that brownie but then later it doesn't feel so good right it doesn't it doesn't help me it slows me down uh, it doesn't give me energy, right? And if anything, it, it, you know, it's kind of like an anchor, uh, and it keeps me from going forward. Same thing with sin. Man, sin in the moment tastes good, feels good. And if sin didn't feel good, we wouldn't want to sin in this place, right? We wouldn't be sinners here. But no, sin feels good in the moment. But at the same time, we, we know that it's loaded with things that are going to slow us down, that are going to keep us from God, that are going to take us and, and drift us off the course, drift us off the path, so that way we're not where we should be. So God, don't let me take care in the, uh, take, share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. It looks good in the moment, but God, keep me away from those things. So God, take me away from the people who are going to tempt me to sin. Take me away from those tables. God, I don't want to be around those tables anymore. Psalm 1-1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, this verse is saying, hey, don't, don't hang around people who are going to corrupt you. Now, Jesus, he, he did. He walked around with people, um, and he walked around with tax collectors and prostitutes, and, and people were just like, what's wrong with Jesus? But everywhere he went, he brought people up. The people he spent the most time with were his disciples, people that were building together. So in our lives, if you've got an area of temptation, man, your closest friends should be those who are building you up, not tearing you down. And I don't know about you, but this verse says, man, blessed are those who don't go those places. Blessed are those who don't. I want more blessing in my life and less temptation. Man, that's what I want. So that's, that's what I want to choose. Again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't reach out. We definitely should reach out, just like Jesus did. 
but those shouldn't be our inner circle. Those shouldn't be the people uh, where we're constantly tempted by these delicacies of sin in our lives. We should avoid those things. So when you pray, pray for God to keep you on track. Pray for God to keep you from drifting. Pray for God to keep you away from temptation, uh, from tempting people and tempting places. Verse 5. Verse 5 says this. This is his last preemptive prayer. This one's a little bit different, quite interesting. Lord, let a righteous person strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. So he's praying, God, when I drift, because I know I will. I know I'm going to sin again. I know I'm going to mess up. But have somebody there just with the spirit and gift of slap and just Whack me upside the head, God, because I want to stay on the straight and narrow. God, correct me when I mess up. God, I need that. Anybody ever needed that before? Not the only one here. Uh, In the same way that it's hard to see the consequences of, of sin in the moment that lead to bad things, it's also hard to see the benefits of correction in the moment. It's hard to see that. When somebody's correcting you, and it's, it's really hard to be like, oh, thank you so much. I needed to hear this today. I mean, this was just so good. Right? When's the last time your boss called you in and, and just chewed you out and just said, man, this was so wrong. I can't believe you did this. You, you're doing it wrong. You know, the last thing we want to do is respond, thank you, boss. Like, this was just, I needed to hear this today. You're right. I have done a terrible job. And this is going to help me keep on the straight and narrow. I'm going to be the best employee that you've ever had now because you chewed me out called me out and made me look like a fool in front of all the other employees here. So I just want to thank you so much for your correction today. Like, I'm going to be the best employee you've ever had. No, that's not what we want to do, right? Instead, we want to be like, what? Are you kidding me? Let me talk about your problems and your issues, because let me tell you what, boss, you've got some things wrong with you, and I could do better if you could do better, right? And we want to shout back, and we want to just tell them why they're wrong. We don't like to accept correction. We don't like it. But David's here, he's saying, God, correct me. God, correct me when I step out of line. Send somebody, send enemy, send a righteous man to come along my path and tell me you're wrong. Tell me you're wrong. That's what we saw when he drifted off course. He, he sent the prophet Nathan to, to give David a big wake-up call in his life to say, get back on track, right? And, and that's what we need in our lives. We need to be willing to accept correction. We need to pray in advance, God, correct me when I get off the path. God, keep me on the path. He says correction is a kindness. It's like oil on his head. It's a good thing. Lord, give me that correction. And then I like the placement. At the end of verse 5, he, he's praying against the evil of his enemies. He's saying, God, I'm always going to pray against the evil of my enemies. And, and, and I think the placement of that verse is so powerful that it wasn't verse 1, but that it was at the end of verse 5. Because David prays against the evil of others, second, but first he prays against the evil in his own heart. So you have to deal with the evil inside yourself before you deal deal with the evil inside of others. But usually we like to flip-flop that. God, this world is so wicked, you know? They're all going to hell in a handbasket, God. Take care of them. Deal with them. But no, David's like, God, I know I'm the... I'm the chief of sinners. That's what Paul calls himself. God, I'm the chief of all sinners. God, deal with me first. Deal with the evil inside of my own heart first, and then let's work on everybody else. 
But God, if you don't do it in me first, how are you going to correct other people? Right? And, and so that's what we need to do. Jesus talks about that. He says, before you uh, remove the speck from your brother's eye, remove the plank from your own one first. See, we have the tendency to minimize our own issues and magnify the issues of others. So in your prayers, start with asking God to change you before you ask him to change somebody else. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. Oh, God, change my family. They just don't get it. God, change, change my boss. He just doesn't get it. No, God, change me. God, change me first. Help me to be a, a, a better spouse. God, help me to be a, a better kid. God, help me to be a better parent. God, help me to be a better employee before we start. And then we need to pray for them, right? But start with you. Start with you. So you, praying preemptively is so important because drifting happens so easily and it's so unnoticeable until it's almost too late and you start wondering, how did I get here? How did I wind up here? So praying preemptively, praying before it happens. We need to do that. It's important. Uh, there was a study that was just released this, this May uh, from Arizona Christian University. And uh, they served a 1,000 pastors, and they asked them all the same questions. They asked them about, uh, tell me about your beliefs, uh, about purpose. Tell me about how do you think this world was created. Tell me about salvation. Tell me about human nature, about lifestyle, relationships. Tell me about the Bible, about truth, about morals. And, and they're trying to see how do these things all line up. Uh, because what they were looking for is how many pastors out of a thousand in America have a biblical worldview, have a biblical worldview. So uh, for those of you who don't know what a worldview is, a worldview is just, it's a set of basic beliefs. It, it's how we see the world. Uh, it's, it's the values it's, that gives us structure for how we see the world and how we respond to it. So do you have a biblical worldview? Do you, do you trust the Bible as absolute truth is another way you could put it. Uh, there's, there's lots of other worldviews. There's a secular worldview. In a secular worldview, uh, it teaches that beliefs are a matter of personal preference. And there's no absolute truth. You know, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, and we're just going to somehow coexist together, right? That's a secular worldview. A scientific worldview teaches that there's nothing in this world except natural elements, right? We're just a collection of molecules and atoms put together, and everything can be uh, scientifically found out. If we don't have an answer, it's just because we haven't researched it yet. Uh, so truth comes from science in a scientific worldview. But in a biblical worldview, it teaches that we were created by God and that God's word is absolute truth. So the survey, they surveyed 1,000 pastors, not, not believers, pastors, who are preaching every Sunday, and uh, they surveyed a thousand pastors. And what do you think? How many pastors had a biblical worldview in America? You know, just think about that for a second. You think, okay, there's some there's some fruits and nuts out there. All right, so maybe maybe ninety percent, maybe maybe something like that. Well, the survey came back only thirty seven percent of pastors in America. Uh, of, you know, not some other religion or something like that. No, Christianity, only 37% of pastors had a biblical worldview. Four out of ten. Like, that just blew me away. That blew me away. Now, the other 63%, they're not out there preaching Hinduism or something like that or Buddhism or some other religion or anything like that. But it, it is very scary, though, because... Uh, they say what they embrace is a worldview called syncretism. Syncretism. 
And what syncretism is, it's a blend of the Bible and personal preference. So in other words, I'm going to pick and choose what I think is truth out of here. And I'm going to allow what I feel or what culture tells me to cover up the rest of the truth. And that's a scary place. Man, that's, that's drifting 101 when we deny the absolute authority and inerrancy of the Bible. 63% of pastors in America. Wow, man, that's, that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. When, when we come in and we just say, and you think, okay, yeah, that's probably like some other place, right? That's, that's coastal cities, you know, something like that, not here in the Midwest. But man, I look in our own community, and I've heard pastors say, you know, when they, uh, of just, hey, what do you think about this passage? There'll be pastors in our town say, you know what? No, that, that verse isn't true. You know, you just skip that one, and we'll go on to the next one. In Aberdeen, right? And it's scary. So we got to be careful to make sure we're following God's word, and we're not drifting, and we're not allowing our personal preferences and our political agendas to get in the way of God's word. Like, this is truth. And we need to hold to that. Because what happens next? Now you got 63% of pastors preaching some version of God's word that isn't holding true to God's word. What's going to happen to the next generation? What's going to happen to all the people who are listening to that? Man, they're going to pick that up. And in fact, in the same study, uh, they, they surveyed parents of preteens. So like that 10 to 12 uh, age. So parents who are raising up the next generation, right? And it said out of there, uh, only 2% had a biblical worldview. Only 2%. What happens to the next generation? Will there even be 1%? Will there even be 1% that has a biblical worldview? That's how fast we can drift. That's how fast we can drift. See, I believe that as the church in America, we're drifting. We're drifting. We're allowing culture. We're allowing political agendas to dictate what we believe. And we're putting personal preferences in the place of God's commands. That's a scary place. That's a scary place. And we need to hold true to God's word. We can't drift anymore. It reminds me of a verse in Judges. Judges, uh, what had happened, this was after uh, they went into the promised land. Joshua was leading them, and they, they followed God's word, and they took over the promised land. But then one day, Joshua died, right? And who's going to pick up the mantle next? And, and in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, after that whole generation had been gathered up to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. In one generation. They'd seen God move mightily. Signs and wonders, miracles, part in the Red Sea, all these different things. In one generation, they stopped following God. See, as a country, we're only one generation away from forgetting, from forgetting God. As a community, we're only one generation away from forgetting about God. In your family, you're only one generation away from forgetting about God. Right? That's, that's kind of scary. Now, at the same time, there's hope. Man, you're, you're one generation away from just, like, changing your family at the same time. So let's not just look at the negative, but, but we need to understand there's, there's a negative out there of if we don't stay on the path, this is what can happen. If we allow ourselves to drift and we just say, that's okay. The things that we allow in our generation that we tolerate, the next generation embraces. Right? If we say, okay, we can drift a little bit, just as long as we don't drift too much, well, the next generation is going to be like, okay, that's part of the path. 
Let's just keep following that route. Let's embrace it. And they're going to branch farther out. So we need to stay on the path. Lord, help us not to drift. God, help us to stay on the path. God, may, may we set examples for our family, for our church family. God, may we not delight in the delicacies of the wicked. May we not drift towards evil. May that be, be a prayer that we pray every day. Man, that, that's so important. God, guard our words. Guard our hearts. So what do we need to do to stay on course? What do we need to do to keep moving forward to make sure that we're not drifting off path? Right? We, we've seen a couple things here. We've seen David was praying preemptively. Right? And that's, that's one way we can stay on path is, is just saying, God, help me not to drift. Right? Uh, another way you're saying, God, send people to correct me. That's, that's powerful. That's good. God, help me to listen to correction. Help me to do all those things. But there's one other way that I'd like to, to point out. There's one thing that I think that we all need uh, in our lives to help us keep on the path. And, and you know what helps us keep us on the path, like on a road trip and all those different things? When you're on a boat, a GPS system. I think we all need a spiritual GPS system in our lives because when you don't have a GPS system and you're traveling, it's really easy to get off course. Uh, I remember one time I was traveling from South Dakota, uh, or sorry, from Iowa back up to South Dakota. And uh, so we were driving and, and it was my turn to drive and I just had a straight shot. And this way, we didn't have a GPS, we didn't have smartphones at that time, we had MapQuest that we had printed out, all right? And, uh, or an atlas, I think, too. So we've got that. We've got the directions. It was my leg of the trip. And it's just like, okay, I want you just to drive on 80. Just go straight. That was all I had to do. Just go straight. No problem. Right? I got this. Everybody else in the car went to sleep. And so I'm just sitting there, minding my own business, driving straight. Don't turn. Don't do anything like that. So I'm just ignoring road signs as we pass them because I just need to drive straight. It's the only thing I have to do. Well, pretty soon I'm driving, and I start to notice signs, Kansas City, only a few miles. <laughs> like, wait, okay, South Dakota, Kansas City. I think I'm off the path here, <laughs> right? But we didn't have the GPS there to tell us we were off the path. By the time I woke up, the other guys, I'm like, guys, I have no clue where we are. I just, I didn't turn. I stayed on the road. And, and so we, we pulled out the atlas, we're looking around, and Highway 80, to stay on that, you needed to actually take an exit. So there was a bunch of mega big signs we found out later. Stay on 80, turn right. Oh. God, I drifted. I didn't even know I drifted. I had to pay a lot extra for gas money that day. It wasn't fun. But it was so easy because I didn't have that GPS. In the same way, I think we need a spiritual GPS, not, not a global positioning system, but we need God's positioning system in our lives. And, and this is what we call God's positioning system. It's God's word. This is how we stay on the straight and narrow is God's word. Uh, check out these verses from Psalm 119. It says this, uh, verse 9, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. By living according to your word. In, in verse 105, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. God's word is going to help illuminate. It's going to help keep you on the path. This is God's GPS. This is God's positioning system for us to make sure that we are on the right path. If you follow God's word, you're going to be on the right path, right? To stay on course, we need to allow, we need to check the GPS regular, and we need to listen to the GPS. How many of you have been on a road trip, and the GPS starts telling you, turn right, do a U-turn, and you ignore it because you think you know better? 
right? Anybody ever been there before? It's just like, no, no, I think this, this is a better way. Well, pretty soon you wind up somewhere you never intended to be, right? So in the Bible, you're reading it, and it's like, you turn. You need to change this now. This is wrong in your life. You need to change this habit. And if we ignore it, we're not going to end up where we want to be. We're going to end up off the path. So just reading it isn't enough. We need to do what it says, right? We need to do what it says. That's how we, we stay on path with God's positioning system as we look into God's Word. So this week, I want to give you a challenge. If you're not in God's Word already, I want to challenge you to check in on your GPS at least four times this week, all right? At least four times. You can start, if you don't know where to read, start in the book of Psalms. You can follow right along with us. Read a couple Psalms each day and and just check in uh, on, am I on the path? Am I doing what God wants me to do? God, where do you have me? What do you have for me? And God's Word is going to guide you. It's going to lead you. It's going to help you to grow. So that's my challenge for you this week. Man, pray preemptive prayers. Pray, God, guard my words. God, help me not to drift. God, send people to correct me if I get off the path and to stay in God's word because it illuminates the path. It it shows us the path. That's how we stay on that path to purity. Now today, maybe you're sitting there and uh, you're a long way from the right path. You've never been on the right path. Maybe you're uh, blazing your own trail and that's the way you've been your whole life. Well, today, no matter how far you've strayed off that path, maybe you used to be on it and you're just long gone now, God wants to help you get back on the right path. God can use all those random wandering moments in your life to get you back on that right path. And we believe that today because Jesus, he, he came for us and, and, and uh, he lived a perfect life. I mean, perfect. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Right? We're all deserving of death because we've all done things wrong. We've all gone off the path. We've all drifted. We've all got sin in our lives. And, and it says we deserve death. We deserve to die. Again, that heaven or hell. We all deserve eternity in hell. But the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Because Jesus, he came. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He wasn't deserving of death. But yet he went to the cross. That's why we have a cross up on the wall over here, because of what Jesus did on it. Jesus gave up his life freely for us. He says, I'm going to take your place. You should be the one up here. You should be the one paying your penalty, but I'm going to pay that penalty so that you can spend eternity in heaven. It's the only way. And so today, if you've wandered off that path, God wants to bring you back on the right path. Glenna, would you come? God wants to bring you back on that right path. He wants to keep you... uh, in focus. He wants to illuminate that way through his word, through, through people who, who come and, and correct you. So I just want to give you that opportunity today. If you're wandering, again, if you were on the path, but you've wandered off, you want to come back, or you, you just found out today, what, there's a path? Yeah, God's got a purpose, and he's got a plan for your life, and he's not done with you yet. I promise you, he's not done with you yet. So would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me? And I, I just want to I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. If there's anybody here today and you just say, you know what? I'm off the path. I've never discovered the path. And today, God, I I want your plans and your purpose for my life. God, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. God, I want you to show me right from wrong. I want to go your way. It may be difficult. It's not going to be the easiest path. But let me tell you, as he spoke earlier today, it's going to be worth it. Jesus looked at you on that cross. He thought about you. And he thought, this is worth it. It's worth it. That you are worth it today. 
That's why he died on the cross. So today I pray that you would realize that it's worth it to follow Jesus. It's worth it to follow Jesus. So if there's anybody in this room today and you want to get back on the path, you want to accept Christ as your Savior today, would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I want to pray with you today. I want to pray with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else, let's just take a moment. You just need to get back on the right path today. Thank you. If that's you today, let's just pray this prayer together. Everybody, let's just, let's just pray this prayer together. If you raise your hand, just pray it from the heart. Dear Jesus, I've wandered off the path. I want to get back on the path. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I want to make you the Lord of my life. God, I give you everything. Not just part of me. All of me. Change me. Mold me. Shape me. Light the path for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, ah, man, I believe that God's putting you back on the path right now. It's helping you to restart, to refocus. And so now more than ever, I encourage you, get in God's Word. Get in God's Word. Let that illuminate the path. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles, um, we've got Bibles to give away today. You can come down front. We'll have some of the prayer team up here. They'd love to pray with you and uh, get you a Bible, get you even like a little next steps book that'll help you stay on that right path. What do I do this week? What do I need to know? Um, so I just want to encourage you. God is doing a great work in your life. Don't give that up. Keep with his, G keep checking in on that GPS. Keep praying. Keep praying today. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you. I want to bless you. This, once we pray, these altars are open. I encourage you, spend some time at this altar. Uh, if you just need to meet with God, if you just need to say, God, I need to make sure I don't drift. Or God, I, I, I need to get back on the path. Whatever it might be, these altars are open. But let me pray for you today. Jesus, God, I, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for each and every person here today. They're not here by accident. Even if they just wandered in. God, they, they saw our billboard and just wandered in today. God, your Holy Spirit led them here. So God, I thank you for each and every person. And God, I pray that you would keep us on the right path. God, this is an urgent prayer. This isn't when you get to it. God, this is, this is right now. We need you now. God, guard our tongues. Guard the words that we say. God, guard our hearts. God, that we may honor you in everything that we do. Help us not to stray off with our words. God, help us not to drift, to drift towards evil. God, keep us away from those places where we may be tempted uh, to give in, the people we might be tempted to be around. But God, keep us strong and firm in you. Oh, God, we need you. And God, when we do drift, send someone to correct us. Send someone to correct us. May we not deny them, but God, may we respond favorably. God, work in our hearts. Lord, help us to stay true to your word. God, that, that it would light our path. God, that it would show us the way. So God, may we stay on the path today because it's worth it. Bless this church. Bless these people. As we leave this place today, God, may your presence go with us. May every person we come in contact with, 
God, may, may we overflow onto their lives. God, that they would say there's something different about these people. God, may we change this community for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, these altars are open. If you need a Bible or anything, please come down. We'd love to get you those resources. Have an incredible week.